As we continue in our practice here together, we have the opportunity to bring the frame of the middle way to bear upon the different possibilities that our practice offers. The middle way is the phrase the Buddha used to most succinctly describe this path. And it refers to finding balance between different possibilities in many different ways. A path of balance. One of the areas we seek to find balance or the appropriate time for different possibilities is another way we could see it is in the the balance to be found between the cultivation of steadiness, focus, unification, we could say concentration of the heart-mind. I personally don't use the word concentration that much, it sort of Concentrate tends to suggest something like like tomato concentrate, you know, sort of <laughs> thick and dense and not particularly palatable unless it's mixed with something else. And what I think the Buddha was pointing to was more usefully described as unification, a gatheredness, a wholeness, an unfragmentedness. And this is supported by simplifying, by steadying, by stabilizing, by sustaining the attention in our chosen topic or object of attention. And we've used the body and the breath as a primary frame for this. And we also balance this, however, with the very important and powerful capacity and quality we have to become curious about our experience, to investigate it. And this quality of investigation, dhamma-vichaya, is something to be balanced with what we could call the unifying, the stabilizing, the steadying of the mind. Investigation has an active component. It's not about being quiescent. And it's something that I think we can be a little sort of cautious about. In its very nature, it suggests we admit to ourselves that we don't know all there is to know, that there's more to be discovered. And of course, curiosity sometimes gets a bit of bad press in our culture. You know, the the phrase, curiosity killed the cat, as if it's a bad thing. I was really delighted to discover some years ago that that's only half of the ancient proverb. The whole one goes, curiosity killed the cat. And then the cat came back. (laughs) And it's like, hey, I think I like this possibility. (laughs) And in a sense, stepping into the quality of genuine curiosity, that's not trying to figure things out or know them in order to control them, but that's generally understand, interested in understanding further, more, deeper. There's a way in which we have to let go into that. And there's a kind of a dying 
into unknown, into the unknown, into the uncertainty of things. That is a very potent aspect of practice. And it brings with it then a natural inclination of looking to see. If I don't know, then I pay attention naturally. If I think I know already, then I can just kind of disregard. I know what that is. But if I don't, then I have to look and see. And this is really the invitation of practice, to look and see what is here, what is this. But doing so in a way that stays balanced with this quality of calm, steadiness, unification of heart and mind. And between the two, and with the balance of both, our practice can really open up. So I'd also like to just say a little bit more about the the frames we've been using, just naming again the body, the first foundation and the breathing body, the body as it is. We've talked about the hedonic tone, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, feeling quality. Also recognizing this as one of the, uh, the khandhas, the five heaps, as the Buddha called them and as Catherine was speaking about. The five heaps. Such a lovely expression, it seems. But this particular one, to be known, it's most important where we see the movement of craving and aversion, to be able to discern that this is what triggers or stimulates or conditions that response. By seeing it, we're allowed to more easily withdraw our entanglement in that reactive response. Likewise, noticing what's neither pleasant nor unpleasant, we can withdraw or not consent to the tendency to just disconnect. So we neither tighten in contraction, and we could say we learn to let go of the grasping. We begin to release the urge to push away in aversion and we see, oh, it's letting be. To let go, to let be. When we say letting go about something we have aversion to, we often think it should go away. That's not how it works. It's let it be. It's okay. And with the with the quality of neutral, neither pleasant or unpleasant, The invitation is connect. Let me know this deeply. Someone asked the question in a note as to whether we should be doing this all the time or just now and then. And it can be useful to take a period of time, just as Catherine was speaking so delightfully about the the perception of... um, of dukkha, that we can practice just seeing it wherever and whenever, of the unsatisfactoriness of things, that they can't give us satisfaction. Just seeing that. So too we can choose for a period of time to pick up a theme, such as noticing the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral, and seeking to notice it in each and every moment for a period, so far as we can. But the instruction that we're offering is not that you need to do this, You could. 
more useful is to notice when there's a reaction that this will be underpinning it. And at other times, allowing the range of experience that comes to be known. And within that, the third foundation, the, the realm of sensitivity and responsiveness, we could say. The, the word the Buddha used was citta, which is sometimes translated as mind, sometimes as heart, sometimes as heart-mind, which I prefer of those three. And expressed rather beautifully by one of, one of our teachers, Arjun Sachito, very beautifully for me, is that which is affected and responds. So, see, it has this, this sensitivity and responsive capacity, and the response can be reactive, and the response can be born of wisdom and compassion. But the sense of we're touched, we're affected, and we respond. And the Buddha spoke of this, of this, we could say, organ of sensitivity, this aspect of our experience, as something we should know. This is to be known, to be seen clearly. And the way it's spoken about in the, in the teaching, in the, in the sutta, is, is, I think, very simple and beautiful. The Buddha says, to know the contracted mind as the contracted mind. Anyone ever had a contracted mind? Just to know. Yeah, me too. Ah, just to know. Oh, it's contracted. He doesn't say, you shouldn't have one of those. He just says, no. To know the uncontracted mind as the uncontracted mind. Just to know it. To know the expanded mind as the expanded mind. Just to know it. To know the mind that is clear as a mind that is clear. And likewise the mind mind that is clouded or occluded. Ah, I can't see clearly. Ah, I can't see clearly. We could say that's what's happening to make it sort of as if it's about me. But oh, mind, this heart mind right now, it's not so clear. We can notice (coughs) this heart mind when it is concentrated, unified, stabilized, and notice it equally when it's fragmented, dissipated, agitated. Just, huh, okay, there's this and there's this. And it's, in a sense, it's, it helps us to become less identified with what's happening. We can say, oh, this is the state of the mind right now. This is its condition. And using the, the lovely image that uh, I think Nikki offered of you know, rose-colored spectacles, we see the mind state, colors, when, when, we're, when we're in love. The mind state colors the experience, so it all looks this way. And when we're feeling bright and lovely, everything looks lovely. Oh, the meditators here. They're such wonderful human beings. IMS is just this amazing place. The food is exquisite. And then when we're feeling a bit sort of flat or a bit depressed or miserable, it's like everything's grey and dark. These people all look miserable and depressed. And <laughs> IMS, why don't they have some artwork on the walls and the food? God, it's bland and, uh, you know. Duh. And we see the world changes 
in the way we're perceiving and experiencing it because we haven't seen that what we're looking through is coloring it. We're looking through, we're seeing through the condition of the heart-mind. And what's interesting here is that although something like emotions, sometimes there are emotions and sometimes there aren't. That's for sure. There's always a mind state. And in a certain way, the mind states are often precursors to a fully, we could say, activated emotional process or experience. They're often the definitive quality within it. And so one of the things the Buddha said is to notice this heart-mind, to notice the jitta affected by craving. Notice the jitta affected by aversion, by delusion. And notice the jitta not affected by craving. This could be one of those yay moments. It's, ah, right in this moment, that's not what's here. But what's critical is in that noticing, we can see if the heart and mind are affected by craving, it will go looking for something. And it helps us to see it's not the thing. Oh, it's the tendency. It's the quality that's present in the mind that leads to that. And so we begin to see it. We begin to have more space with it. We realize we're not compelled to act on the appearance or the image that arises according to the quality of the, of the, of the heart-mind through which perception is received and by which it is colored, inevitably. So we see this sensitive organ of very much feels to be at the core of what we are, I I think, for many of us. This ability to be touched, we're affected. Conditions touch us and the condition of this heart-mind is affected by them. External conditions, situations, what people say or do or what appears around us, internal conditions too affect and one of the most profound and significant conditions is our own cultivation of wholesome qualities that through practicing through developing such as mindfulness wakefulness heartfulness attentiveness bodyfulness all these different ways we can talk about the giving of attention and the establishing of attention this actually affects the quality of the heart-mind. We, we see it begins to brighten, starts to become more translucent or somehow able to see more deeply. Cultivating qualities of kindness and care, of friendliness, of joyfulness, of compassion, of equanimity, we see that, ha, ah, this actually affects the condition of the heart-mind. Cultivating it doesn't mean this is always what happens, but it certainly makes it more accessible, more possible. And so we practice in this way. The very noticing of the quality of the heart-mind the jitta, noticing. What we notice is when it's contracted, we don't have to judge it, but we can see, ah, oh, there's something about this that's not free. 
And we see what allows it to open. When we find it entangled or affected, the mind affected by craving or lust or hatred. So we feel it. If we can just know it, there's something in us that recognizes that this isn't where we wish our life to be centered. It's not that we judge it or reject it, but just there's a natural tendency to say, oh, okay, how will I release this? Because we have a a register within us, I think, for for deep well-being, for freedom, and and an inclination, a natural, organic inclination towards this, just as water flows downhill to the ocean by its very nature. It doesn't have to decide to do it. I think it's a good day to go downhill. You know, maybe tomorrow I'll try going uphill. It doesn't work that way. And of course this gets, we, we don't always feel closely in touch with this because of the degree of reactivity, not just in our hearts and minds, but in the world around us. So we, we gather our attention in. We allow this inclination, this movement, to express itself as a, we could say again, a, a movement towards well-being, towards happiness, towards freedom, towards peace, that is organic and intrinsic to us, but initially expressed in ways that aren't always skillful or effective because we haven't fully understood the nature and the dynamics of what is here, what it is to be, what we are. And the Buddha spoke of this once. He said, speaking of this this citta, this affected and responsive sensitivity that responds, he said, this heart-mind is luminous, radiant, brightly shining. It is clouded by attachments that visit it. This the ordinary, worldly person does not understand. And so for them, there is no development of this heart-mind. If we don't understand that these reactive patterns of visitors, they're not intrinsic to what and who and what we are. We identify with them and we don't seek to transform them. We simply seek to enact them. The Buddha went on to say, this heart-mind is luminous, radiant, brightly shining. It is free from the attachments which cloud it. This the wise, learned practitioner of the Dharma understands. And so for them, there is development of this heart-mind. When we see that this sensitivity and responsiveness is not bound to or defined by What touches it? What affects it? What impacts it? It's free to express its deeper nature. 
And in this way we learn to cultivate this heart-mind. Not through controlling or manipulating or judging its content, but by seeing it clearly. And allowing our heart's natural movement towards what is wholesome and beautiful. Allowing this to express itself, to find its way. And so again, settling into our formal meditation. Settling in to being right here. This body sitting on the earth and beneath the sky. Breathing in and breathing out. Just as it does. Opening our attention to the flow of experience in the body and the breath. But equally in the movement of what comes to us, the sounds that arise and pass, that we can receive. Resonate with. And release. Noticing if there are reactive patterns present. Turning towards in a kind and skillful attentiveness to give them space to understand that they do not define who we are. They're not ours in any absolute sense. Though of course we need to take care of their impacts. In ourselves and around us if needed. Noticing the The movements of thought that come at times with enthusiasm, at times just soft and transparent, flickering in the space of awareness. Continuing to just notice and release our attention when it becomes engaged in thinking. And yet recognizing the place also for just the the intention that may show itself as a thought of curiosity or of kindliness. 
or of understanding and not too quickly needing to move away from such expressions or appearances of what is wholesome revealing itself in our heart and our mind. And noticing this quality, this organ of sensitivity, this field of experiencing we call heart-mind, citta, and the quality or the condition of it. At times you might just check in regularly. Ah, how is this heart-mind? What is the standing out quality, predominant feel here. It may be known as a presence of or an absence of something particular. Without grasping it or pushing away whatever we might discover. And this quality of curiosity, of the humility of knowing, understanding there's more yet to discover. We don't yet know all that is to be known here. And the, and the investigation that invites. It's not a thinking about or trying to figure out, but a, a looking afresh with an attentiveness unclouded by conclusions and perceptions from the past, to see what is this, what is here, what is this, what is now. And if all those options seem a little too many or you're unsure as to what to attend to, again gathering your attention in your body, coming to the felt sense of breathing. And then again, when there is steadiness, opening the field to include more and more of what comes and what goes. Just one moment at a time. Sensitive, present and wakeful, just as you are. 